Let us now hear the Pentecost story from Luke's Acts. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. And a tongue, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at the sound, a crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in their native language. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Paramethians, Medes, Elamites, and descendants of Mesopotamia, Judah and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in their own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, Hmm, are they filled with new wine? But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judah and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's just nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon your slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heavens above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I won't lie, I'm a little nervous, so please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. I heart my church. Has anybody seen that phrase around town? Green t-shirts or big white letters on the back of cars? I heart my church. Kind of become a catchy phrase, slogan around town. It's um, used by a, another non-denominational church here in Florence. Um, and I won't lie, the first time I saw it on the back of the white sedan driving down Second Loop Road, that's how vivid the memory was, I rolled my eyes. Maybe not the most Christian response, but as the good Methabeterian, I'm going to coin that, thank you, um, that I have now become, my combined traditions tend not to advertise in, in that way. Not that it's a bad thing. I get it. 
catchy. It's working. Those t-shirts are all over the place. But there's one little word in that phrase that drives me a little nuts. My. My little word that can be very dangerous. It claims ownership on things, places, even people. And guess what? If you spend any time with a preschooler, you will learn that the biggest fights are over this little two-letter word. Mom, James Wayne has taken my... Oh, it could be anything. Toy, cup, lovey, chair, book. You name it, and our 16-month-old James Wade can pry anything out of Carson's little four-year-old hands. And it's because James Wade has crossed the ownership line that Carson really gets fired up. He has taken something that Carson believes very strongly, whether he has any right to it or not, is his. My is a powerful word. So let me rework the phrase a little and tell you a shirt that I maybe would wear, but I wouldn't roll my eyes at it. And that is, I heart, you know, the picture of a heart, church. Just, I heart church. I love church. I could wear that t-shirt because I believe it. I could wear it this morning, although I didn't, um, especially if it was in the color red. I heart church on this Pentecost morning. And the reason I could wear it and say it is because I have loved church from a very young age. I fell in love with Christ's church before I fell in love with Christ. I fell in love with the church before I fell in love with Jesus. And that may seem backwards, but it's not. Most of you know, if you spend any time with me, realize that I was raised in the Presbyterian Church, a small Presbyterian church in North Carolina. But to muddy up my religious background a little more, I was actually christened, not baptized, but christened in an Episcopalian church. And because my mother, uh, my mother who was a lifelong Episcopalian, my daddy was a Louisiana Southern Baptist, they did what so many young adults do. They returned to the church after having children, after taking a bit of a sabbatical of their own from, from worship. And they, because of their differing denominational backgrounds, decided to compromise and meet somewhere in the middle of kneeling benches and hand-raising hallelujahs. And they chose the church of the frozen chosen, the Presbyterians. No kneeling, no hand-raising, they both were happy. And so me, their baby girl, christened in the Anglican tradition, actually grew up knowing the ways of the Calvinists, as it was taught and modeled to me in a large, affluent, orderly, somewhat progressive mm, church in Greensboro, North Carolina. That is where I first fell in love with church. I loved being with other children, coloring, singing, and especially hearing stories. I loved the young lady who wore the long black robe and always took time to talk to the children in the middle of worship, right in front of the sanctuary, was actually that pastor who taught me, this is the church, and these are its people. That rhyme. But I really loved... The older man, about my grandfather's age, 
who stood in the back of the church in a similar long black robe, and he always said, Hey, Grace, how are you? I care about you. I love you. Yes, some of my most vivid, real, not from pictures or stories being retold to me, some of my most vivid memories are from Starmount Presbyterian Church. So imagine my surprise when my parents came to tell me and my sister and my brother that we had been asked to leave the church. Yep, asked to leave the church. Now, a few of you, I see Sue Lynch there, and the Hubises are coming, and Kathy Ham has known the Mitchell clan for over 13 years now, and that may not surprise them that we were asked to leave church. But we were actually asked to leave Starmount to help start a new church development out in the sticks of Guilford County. We actually lived out in the sticks, too, so it was a little closer commute. I'm pretty sure that's how we got chosen. But after some discussion and prayer, my parents said, okay, we'll do this. We'll join with about 10 other families to begin a new church development in Oak Ridge, North Carolina. I wasn't super happy about this change and leaving my familiar, safe, big church. And I was drugged to a bunch of meetings for for about a year. And these meetings did not take place in a well-decorated, refined boardroom or Sunday school classroom or even at somebody's house. They took place in an aluminum building with concrete floors and with a distinct odor, the smell of fertilizer. My home church started in fertilizer warehouses with aluminum walls, concrete floors, and a roof that sounded like it was going to be swooped away if much more than a breeze came across it. Fortunately, we didn't have to worship in the fertilizer warehouses until they got a facelift. No, we spent the first several months as a worshiping community down at Oak Ridge Military Academy's chapel. It was beautiful and traditional, kind of picturesque from a movie, but no Sunday school room. And with only about 12 families, we didn't bother with Sunday school at that point, but we did have children's time. And guess what? My parents made me go forward for children's time, even though I was closer to being a middle schooler than a preschooler. But that's what you had to do. The preacher needed an audience. Well, I viewed this as an injustice. I did not see myself anywhere close to being a child, much less a preschooler. And so I expressed my discontent And this is how I was extended my first call to ministry and learned for the very first time you need to be careful about what you complain about at church. At the ripe young age of 11, I was asked to lead children's church. In lieu of having to go forward for children's time, I was given the responsibility, with the help of my older sister, Allie, to take the younger children outside for children's church. No classrooms, no desks, no chairs. We simply unrolled my mom's patchwork quilt under a picturesque oak tree, and that is where we did children's church. We played duck, duck, goose, and sang Jesus Loves Me and drilled the Lord's Prayer because that's all we knew. We certainly didn't have any curriculums. We hadn't been trained or background checked, but it was my job in my new church I was just being a member, fulfilling a need, answering a call. I didn't realize I was doing ministry. 
and through the Holy Spirit, my gifts were utilized for the building up of God's kingdom. This is the way it was in my infant church. We didn't have children's ministry or youth ministry or older adult ministry or young adult ministry or CCC ministry or a cupcake ministry. We just had ministry together. And so eventually we left the traditional historic chapel and moved back into our, thank goodness, renovated fertilizer warehouses and started acting a little more normal, I guess you could say, as a church. But as a new church, we faced lots of challenges. But that was a wonderful gift. Because of those challenges, we learned to depend and be driven by the Holy Spirit. We learned to wait on God which is exactly what the apostles are doing Pentecost morning. They were waiting on God. They weren't cowering or hiding. They were waiting on God. Jesus, their teacher, their leader, their Messiah, had risen from the dead, hung out, appeared among them for about 40 days, and then they watched him ascend into heaven. They weren't scared. They were starting to get it. At the end of the 24th chapel of Luke's gospel, Jesus tells them very clearly, you are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised, to stay here in the city until you have been clothed with the power on high. The disciples were faithfully waiting on the power of God, the Holy Spirit. They weren't in a committee meeting or casting votes or writing reports. They were praying while they waited on God to make good on God's promises. And then it came, and no one missed it, and nothing has been the same. Luke's Acts narrative is clear. The Spirit flew in and took everybody by surprise. What followed that gale-forced, hurricane-like wind was fire. seems small and contained as if we have control of it. But no, as Eugene Peterson translates in the message, like a wildfire. Not pretty little candles on our communion table. The Holy Spirit spread through their ranks. It was sudden and chaotic, confusing, and even alarming. The scene shifts from a small upper room to the streets of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, busy, big, metropolitan Jerusalem, where people are hearing the chaos and coming closer to figure out what all the fuss is about. The scripture lesson tells us at least 15 different languages or area dialects were being miraculously coming from that room, occupied by these Galilean Jews. The tongues of fire enabled the apostles to not just speak some random languages, but to speak the gospel, to share the story of Jesus Christ with these other Jews who did not know it. The first spiritual gift given to the church by the mysterious and the Holy Ghost was the gift of speech, the gift of proclamation. It was the giving and receiving of this gift that fulfilled the awesome power that flooded into the world on Easter morning. Pentecost is too often, and I've said it too, been boiled down to the birthday of the church, when it is actually the fulfillment of the wonder of Easter. Remember Easter just eight weeks ago? The glory and the magic. We lose it 
too quickly. This morning, the church was formed on Easter Sunday, but became the body of Christ as the Apostle Paul explains it to the letter in Corinth when given the gift of speech, when the church was given her voice. Speech was just the first of many gifts given by the Spirit for the furthering of God's kingdom. I was given the holy gift of being called upon to use my spiritual gifts. It was a blessing to be needed. Yes, sometimes it got annoying to have to be at the church every time the doors were open, and even times when they weren't. But do you know what happened? I fell in love with Jesus. After hearing the scripture proclaimed almost every Sunday morning, I came to know and love Jesus. And just as John Wesley described, my heart, too, was strangely warmed. And I knew without a doubt that Jesus' justifying act on the cross and his victory over sin and death was for me. Despite the irrevocable fact that I was, I am, and I always will be a sinner. No amount of church meetings or youth functions would earn my salvation. But through the church that I already loved, I came to know, claim, and follow Jesus. Isn't that the role of the church? To proclaim, live, and model the faith so that people can come to claim it for themselves. It's a beautiful cycle, one that people jump into at different points. Churched, unchurched, baptized, unbaptized, hurt by the church, hurt by the world. They all come to the church. This is why we need different churches, different traditions, and even different interpretations of Scripture. One church cannot be the whole body of Christ. We can't all be the same part or do the same jobs either. There is a place for all churches who claim that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and work for the furthering of God's kingdom, which is one of love, peace, hope, and mercy. And even though I rolled my eyes there at one time for the little green shirt that says, I heart my church, and may not agree completely with their theology, there's a place for them too. I love my little home church in North Carolina that gave me so many formative experiences. A church dependent on the Holy Spirit. It even so dependent on the Holy Spirit, it allowed children and youth to do important ministry. And yet, as only the chaotic and unpredictable Holy Spirit can do, it moved and allowed for me to be here at Central United Methodist. A church so different from Oak Ridge Presbyterian. Central is big, powerful, traditional, beautiful, Wesleyan, very Wesleyan. And yet it is also a church driven by the Holy Spirit. It has been my job and my honor to be a part of this ministry for seven years. I have seen the Spirit move in amazing and wonderful ways. I have seen you get, as Will put it last week, carried away as you faithfully taught Sunday school or mentored a confirmand, as you enthusiastically responded to my cries for more adults, more food, more anything as it pertains to Sanahatchee. Those of you who were here last Sunday got to see about 250 people get carried away by a dodgeball tournament, which wasn't just about throwing balls and getting a trophy, although it was really nice to get the trophy. I wish Ben was here. Ben King's back there. 
Um, it was nice to get that trophy, but what was even nicer was after the tournament when you saw all these different Presbyterians and Episcopalians and Methodists just chatting and fellowshipping together. They got carried away. I thank the youth for all these years of getting carried away with me, for following me so many times when they had no idea where they were going, for calling me when they needed a friend in hard times, and for listening and responding to Scripture as it was taught and lived out. You, Central, have gotten carried away, too, in the ways that you have loved me and my family. You have constantly held my mother in prayer for these last few hard years. And how you have lived into your baptismal vows and helped raise Carson and James Wade in the faith. For all of this, I say thank you. And I say, I heart central. Amen.